Okay, and then we got all the mushroom masters in the background. This is all; these are all related to psychedelics, right. like Terence McKenna. Right. Um, this is Albert Hoffman. Okay. And um, Aldous Huxley. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, doors so these were. Um, well, you, I mean, you're you're into the mushrooms. We, well are you doing the product? Is that yours? Yeah, this is my product. But that's not a that's not a hallucinogenic no, version. That's no, a health. This is all health related. So we're planning to start this, but then. In December, I took on this this NFT project, so I'm slammed. I think. How's that going? Good. We're we have like almost over Justin six. Bieber. We got Justin Bieber going. We have about over half a million US in it. Yeah. With like different people and uh, yeah, Bieber goes on world tour next week. So what does that mean for you? You're selling. Uh, no, uh, he's going to turn the key. The value will go up, okay. and then we'll just hold out till right. maybe the end of summer, and then oh. dump it all. Let's I'll be see. following it. Good luck. Yeah, man. It's. <laughs> I think we're we're pumped. I, I, Be Bieber has too many followers. Yeah. That he's got two hundred and twenty million. No. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Completely. The guy. The guy does one post. Hey. Hey, Bieber fans, go fucking buy this. Mm. Jam it down their throat. At a two hundred and twenty million, you have at least ten thousand showing up at the door. Yeah. And there's only ten thousand pieces. Right. So th and it's already sold out. So. Right. That's it. It's totally sold. Oh yeah, sold out like the second day. Right. We're recording. Oh, we're recording. Shit. Okay. We. I think we're going to keep that in anyways, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get started. Okay. All right. Welcome to the Fruiting Body Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan, and we're back. I've been sick as fuck for about a month. Uh, I don't know if I had COVID. I had some sort of cough. I still feel it a bit, so hopefully uh, Mike doesn't catch it, but uh, I think he'll be all right. Um, so today we do have a lovely guest. He is a music producer and director for uh, some very well-known music videos from uh, Tom Petty to uh, Jamiroquai. And we're going to talk all about that and learn about his journey and his story. Um, but you know us, we're not all into that hippy-dippy bullshit unless you're doing psychedelics, then fucking rock on. All right. Um, so... Let's jump right into it. This is uh, Mike Lips Lipscomb. That's it. Mike I, try, I tried to just throw that together. Correct. Awesome. Okay, you Mike. Right. There we go. Uh, we've already <laughs> cut to time. Mike. I gotta never. I gotta stop looking at this. I'm. All, you, you do we do, do we need to look to the camera or to, uh, to each other? Okay, Eventually, perfect. you'll forget about this. Um, because okay. we can cut to some of your videos later. Just quick clips, and yeah, you can do pic picture in picture, right? All right, we'll deal with that later. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we we met at the, where did we meet the Twin Palms? Uh. No, we met about three weeks ago, right? Shimmer. Is it Shimmer? Is that? Yeah. But is uh, it not I'm, I'm Twin Palms? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm living there on Camilla around. Gotcha. Sorry, I gotcha. came from the beach side, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure. It's, it might be a part. It could be part yeah, of it. Yeah. It was Shimmer. 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 Okay, that's all new. Yeah, I was yeah. at the Intercontinental. The I did a night there, but I was so sick. I didn't really get to enjoy it. But right. anyways, thanks for having me, Intercontinental. Uh, hey, that's all other hotels. You're welcome to invite me for a night. Um, I have to say, yeah. I heard something very good about the Intercontinental. Yeah, it was living, good. And they just. Uh, help finance a boat that cleans uh, camera, uh, camera Camel Bay. So that's financed by them. Partly. Really? Because, well, you kind of need it there. That that water there is because of the, the that Camilla district, right? All the, I don't want to just say the ties, but the locals living there as well. There's like a little little river that runs out. So in surf season, like you're literally surfing in garbage bags. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Actually, I was talking to someone on the beach and one of the guys that set, rents out the surfboards, he was claiming that most of the pollution came in off the yachts. And he was showing me on the side of the bottles, you know, like the destination of, or, or, the, or the creation of each bottle. Ah. So he was claiming, so there's a controversial. They probably <laughs> just dump it, eh? Yeah. 
They really, they probably come through. They don't. They don't care. They, they do. All right, so let, let's jump back into this so everyone can understand who Mike is. Um, first again, yep, thanks, Mike, for joining us. Great. Um, on the Fruiting Body podcast, we kind of go through that journey from your childhood to and connecting that all together of, of how you got into music production and directing, specifically for music videos and whatnot. So you you take it away and just tell us your story. Okay. Um, uh, I, briefly of my childhood, I was uh, I was brought up in um, I was in a brought up in a sort of uh, overflow state state in uh, outside of London, and uh, my parents took off to the West Indies. They did a sort of voluntary overseas services. And I was taken abroad and I went to a school in St. Lucia in the West Indies. I was like uh, about nine years old and I went there for four years and I was the only white kid at school. And um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a ghetto school, had no glass, no windows, and uh, it was an amazing experience. I lived on the beach uh, and I really got into the ocean quite quickly in sailing. Um, and uh, I had one great teacher there who's an American physics teacher and he, he used to make me make pinhole cameras and I became obsessed with cameras at uh, a very early stage. I was making my own pinhole camera. There's the connection. <laughs> there you go. And then years later, I went, you know, when I went back to England, I went back to London, I went back to, um, I went to college, um, studied art. Um, uh, it was in, in a day where you'd, uh, you'd uh, get, um, the government would pay for you to go to college. And when I left college, I didn't have any money and I didn't have a place to stay. So I had a little brief spell of uh, living in a, actually a studio, not too much like this, but it was a rehearsal studio. And um, uh, I've the very first interjection to cinema, I guess, or film was um, I rented a one deck space in, a, in a, a warehouse which was owned by British Rail in King's Cross, which was a really run-down area. Was, um, what age are you at this point now? I was like, uh, yeah, so I've skipped forward quite a bit. No, I was no, like 19, okay. 19, like, yeah. so at 19, 20. So I rented a, a, one, uh, a one desk in off York Way. York Way was renowned for prostitution. It was a really run-down area of London. Although now it's completely gentrified. Now is where the the Euro trains come in, and yeah. St Martin's School of Art is there. But back then it was a rundown area, and um, I was able to get a desk space um, just uh, off this guy Bernard, who was doing this trans African production that he was borrowing cameras from Sony to film in Africa. He basically lent me the cameras that I could say were mine, and I could hire them. And I did my first music video for five hundred. Uh, pounds uh, for some friends. Uh, we s- um, once we'd finished it, it was a bank called Giant. It was my friend Gretch. Hope you see it. Gretch, mm. I'll send you this <laughs> in London. <laughs> and uh, James, who was quite famous at the time. Um, and uh, I, I remember phoning up um, EMI Records. It was a time where you could phone up. Mick Clever, I'd seen, was the um, head of uh, uh, A&R. And I remember phoning up the offices there and I said, look, you know, we've got a video we'd love to make clever to see. And I remember his assistant saying, you know, um, just send it in. And I thought, okay. So I borrowed a crash helmet, got on the bus, took the tape in and went into in my records as a courier. I went through, so like, uh, package made it express, like express package for Mick Clever, Mick Clever. And they, were like, they yeah. went me through to his office. He wasn't in the office, but I just dumped it on the front of his desk. And then I went back to Bagley's warehouse and then I um, I remember just phoning him obsessively and eventually got through to his secretary and I said, look, can you check that we sent a bite this morning? And she pointed it out to him on his desk and he phoned back 
like about a day later and said that you know unfortunately that's not the sort of artist we can sign but we like the video and uh you're up for doing the video and so that's that's, that's, that's how, that's how you got kind of your first foot in the door and, that, and that's how i'm first foot, very foot in the door for low budget video making then then i then that 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 one desk became the whole warehouse i set up trigger happy films with a friend of mine richard heslop and um we basically took over Bagley's. The upstairs was all our studios. We did all the dance anthems. We did like um, Infinity, Guru Josh, Happy Mondays. Uh, did uh, uh, Devotion, you know, Nomad. They were, they were big anthems at the time. So we're talking like late 80s. Yeah, late 80s. Late 80s. 90s, and yeah. then um, Soul to Soul. Um, it basically, I ended up with uh, like nine directors. I was the, I was really more producing and shooting. So when the money ran out, I just turned yeah. the camera off. So I was sort of DP, um, and I direct occasionally. But I had nine directors, and I was sort of running the company and, and sort of liaising with record companies and artists. Did EMF? You remember Unbelievable? Yeah. So what was that like? That transition? I'm, I'm uh, to maybe give yeah. some history behind it, the transition yeah. in the 70s to the 80s, because that's really when yeah. the music videos came well, I to think, life. I think it was me, it wasn't the 70s for me, it was like late, 80, like late 80s, like before me, the generation was that's Duran Duran, talking about. right? Yes. So that was huge. There was like, <laughs> you know, big directors doing like, you know, million dollar videos and like Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, they were the huge videos of the time. And um, I came in with really low budget dance music. I, was, I actually financed Nomad myself. So, I paid for the video and paid for the, uh, paid to help them get it recorded and it was like a like five grand or something and um it became number one mm. and i went on tour with them like filming them on stage and you know through london and so when, um, when you're doing that at a young age i mean and yeah. i have to assume as well i mean you probably don't have a lot of money and yeah. are you taking I, that I, risk i i had no money at all i just used to put all the money back into the videos and um I mean, I know, then I used to take E and dance on stars. I was really wild. I'd go to Ibiza and leave the cameras in the club and then come back and they were still all there. You know, Amnesia didn't have a roof on, but I'd leave a 16 millimeter with the sound gear and everything just sitting on the club yeah. and I'd film it. And, mm -hmm. and, and so it did it very, but that's exactly what happened. So like the video sort of went up to like 15,000, you know, so there was getting money was coming in. It was paying, the, the warehouse was really cheap because it was British Rail and they thought it was going to get pulled down. So it was a year to year um basis and which was work for me and then um uh i could see that people thought that if they gave me more than like 15 grand i'd run off with the money yeah so like i really lucky like you know have breaks in life like my mate dominic who was dating my sister he was a he was a commie chef at the savoy hotel in london and he had a lot of belief in me and he said to me you know like you can um have my Mercedes Coupe 500 and you just pay for it slowly. Every time you do a video, just pay a bit. And I did that and people just instantly thought that, you know, that I was trustworthy, that you could have money. This guy's got money. And I realized very early, people only give people money when you got money. And my budgets went from, you know, like to 35, 50,000, 100,000. And then Trigger Happy was doing well, but it was it was it was too much for me because I was like a father figure and I was really young. I was younger than most of the directors, and it was just it was I wasn't getting my creative outlet. So probably at its peak, I just closed it up and I just went solo. And I fortunately met up with this artist called Tricky, and Tricky was just with Massive Attack, and he just finishing his own album, which is a Maxine Quay, and I just did four videos in a row, and. 
they won awards. And then, like, Tricky said, oh, mate, you got to meet this guy, Goldie. He's, like, genius. And uh, he would introduce me to Goldie, and I did Inner City Life with Goldie, yep. and it was genius. And Goldie was, like, at the cusp of the cusp in London and running the best clubs. And then Goldie would say, oh, mate, you've got to go and meet this person. And, and it grew. And then I was working Just snowball snowball Tori Amos. And then I became the person to work with, you know, and I would be able to choose who I work with. So I'd have, you know, I could get, you know, Bonner used to phone me up. I told you earlier on, like George yep. Michael phoned me up. I had pretty much, um, and then commercials come to your door, you know, saying, oh, Were you, you know picking that. and choosing at this point? I and was being so very picking selective? and choosing. If yeah. I went to, if I was, um, it went to a meeting and it wasn't with the artist, I wasn't going to do it, you know, because a lot of the artists, they're just, they were fake, you know, so they were being managed, product place styled, and there wasn't the real people like with, all my pedigree that you know, with left field and Goldie and Tricky, all that trip hop and jungle and um, yeah, Orbital and yeah, I mean, there's so many of the tracks. Uh, uh, Porter's Head, all those artists I work with, they're just the real deal. Tori Amos, Sinead O'Connor, they're real how, artists. How did these artists like when you're working with them at the beginning of your career? Yeah. Um, every artist, I'm assuming, you know, it's a big, it's a big personality. It's a big character. There's ego. Totally. Does that carry over from decade to decade or has it kind of changed? Like they were, you could specifically put your, you know, finger, you know, in the early nineties, I found out the, a lot of the artists acted this particular well, way. Compared I'll tell you to what, later. it's really funny because, um, you know, the destruction probably people might say was when like pop idol and plosers prog programs like that came around. Well, I know Simon Cowell from the very beginning. So Simon Cowell was an A&R man at, um, at, at um, Arista Records. Um, I was doing a lot of videos for RCA Areola, which is Arista. And Simon was setting up his own record label under there. Although he was a, um, an A&R man for them, he was setting up Psycho Records. And he came to me first off. And I hope you remember this. He came to me first off and he said, I'm doing, um, I've got this artist. It's like Nigel Benn was fighting Chris Eubanks for the World Championship, right? And let's go, he, this is him, he said, let's go to Birmingham, where I'm not sure, Manchester, Birmingham, wherever they're training, get in with Nigel Ben and train with him, like film him. And then he, and, and he had a hit song for him at the end when he won. Yeah. And of course we did, and we went, and he'd lost. <laughs> And so the song never came out. But I could see Simon was like already like that. I'm going to make people, you know, and that's obviously where his roots started. So I later on, it, it probably must be that was my first of my career. My end of my career ended with Simon as well, to be honest, because like later on, years later, you know, I was um, I, I worked for on a psycho track. You know, mm. they're a really nice group of psycho records. And um, it was so overstyled and it was it was just painful and. Our ways parted. And a lot of these companies that you were working with through your throughout yeah. your career, especially at the beginning and those artists, yeah. has everyone kind of not I don't want to say gone their separate ways, but kind of, you know, left the industry in some sense, or are people still a, a part of it? Are you still getting phone calls or are you completely disconnected now? Yeah, I'm pretty um I, after after that whole trip, you know, that whole experience in London, I went off to um Los Angeles. And then I started, um, I was doing a lot of commercials. I did some very big ones. I did like this, uh, I would do the sort of crossover. I do a lot of like telephone campaigns because telephones are sort of youth orientated and they're like lifestyle. There's no product as such. So it's just a lifestyle, which really blends into music, which music videos are. Um, and uh, if you look at my early, if you look at any of my works, like 
like, like Simply Red, you know, Ain't There a Lot of Love, or if you look at, um, you know, you'll see the scale that I do and the detail in the art, or like a really nice one I did was Desiree, you know, where I had butterflies fell all over Jamaica, and it was like um, for a track called Life that went to yep. number one as well. <coughs> Jamaicaai, Deeper Underground. I mean, I had, so the freedom comes was with the artist, but um, probably answering a different question, but the freedom comes, yes, with the artist that has this trust, that you create this trust with, a bit like you, when you sit down before you do an interview, is this someone I'm going to you know, have a relationship with? Yep. You have to have that. If you don't have that chemistry, then it's not going to work. But then the people behind them have to be good. Like, so there was a guy called um, Mark. Um, uh, Mark used to run uh, Sony Records. He, um, he was just really good, you know, and he would, he would like create the artist with the director and then leave them to sort of blossom and make their piece. You know, you pretty much have to get a number one. Dramericoy's budgets was like in the millions. So you, you when you spend yeah. that much money, you've got to have a number one. You've got to have an award or How something. How was the pressure? I mean, I know we well, were discussing that at yeah, lunch. Like yeah. when you're given a, a budget, the, the, these, these record labels, they're also expecting, you know, a certain yeah. outcome from that. Do you feel the pressure or as an artist, you just say, fuck it, I'm just going to do my, well, my, 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 yeah. my, my, what I want to do. No, you're right. So it, when you get to the middle level sort of musics, uh, there's a lot of people on it. A&R, you know, marketing, they're all around you and they're, they're, they're on set looking at, you know, you're, what you're doing and coming up and saying, oh, what about this? So I just turn the monitor off because I shoot my own work and uh, there's, there'd be no monitors. It just got so, and in the end, I'll just go, I, I was, had to, I got to a point where I could actually turn the monitor off and just say, you know what, I'm just going to walk out and they're just going to let me do my work. When the budget's got huge, they don't even come near you because they know that if it's a flop, someone's going to lose their job. So they don't want to be anywhere yeah. near you. Um, they want you to do it on your own. And if it's great, then they come at the end to go, oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> if it's crap, that you're like <laughs> on your own. Is that um, it? Is it like a one and done? Like you could have 10 hit hit uh, videos and fuck up one and that's kind of game over for your career or you can kind of get through that? It's really hard because you got like, you know, like so later on when I didn't have Trigger Happy, I obviously started working with other companies. So I'm working now in Los Angeles for companies and they they have clients, you know, pushing you to do extra work, you know, and you can only do, you know, like it, like you might do a three day, four day shoot, but your prep is at least a month. And my, my post-production, like, I used to do heavy, heavy posts. I really, like, I used to call my style sort of contained surrealism, you know, like, we could be sitting here and you'd see, like, all the wildebeest, like, yeah. going across the carpet or something. Like, you know, it'd be, like, believable perspective and everything, but couldn't quite be. So I did a lot of that. I did a really, actually, Tricky was one of the first ones I did that with, with this one called uh, Black Steel. I really liked that video. And um, I actually had a lot of directors that I really liked, like uh, Michel Gondry and um, Tarsiem, they, they phoned me and said, oh, I love that video. Yep. Wish I'd come up with that idea. You know, and that's really, that's the reward. What really. is your creative process? I was watching the Jamiroquai uh, video. It's uh, yeah. um, deep, Deeper Under. Deeper Underground, yeah. yeah. Deeper Underground, yeah. I was watching that um, last week, and I rewatched it again today because yeah. I was all fucked yeah. up for like, a couple damn, weeks. Damn, we've got to watch that. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I wanted to watch it again to get an yeah. understanding, and it's it's in the movie theater, it seems, and like yeah. all this water. So you're, you're, yeah. you're all the water is, is yeah. rushing through, and there's cars, yeah. and Jamiroquai is, you know, doing his yeah. thing. Now, how much... How much, or sorry, let's take a step back. What is your creative process when yeah. initially yeah. they come to you and say, I want to do a video with you yeah. and Jamaica? How do you even get started pen to paper? Every, every single one, I, I um, loop the track. I just loop it on earphones, just loop it and loop it and loop it. And think about the production, the scale, how it's produced, 
And then I'm normally stoned at that point. <laughs> and then and then it just comes, you know, it just like it comes from the scale of the sound. But obviously with Jamiroquai, there's like, sometimes there's briefs like, but the briefs are very limited. Normally it's just open ticket. You go like, um, like a, just a, before I get to Jamaica, like like yep. with with uh, Tori Amos, she said, "Oh, come to Ireland," you know. And I went and she sat on her bed and played the song and said, "What do you think?" And and then he, then you really want to do the video and you go back and write it with Jam with Jamaica, It was like launching that um, Godzilla movie, so they sent me the stuff. So Godzilla had to be in it, right? Or something. so I had only used the tail. I built that studio that in a in a um, in uh, Leavesden Studios. So Star Wars was shooting in Leavesden Studios. They just finished shooting and we were moving out all the Star Wars stuff, which was pretty incredible. This is all in LA. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 London. They shot oh, really? Star Wars in London. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's Leavesden Studios and um, we moved all that mm. stuff out and then we built this like that massive steel tank, put all these, I went to a cinema, we bought all the chairs. Those people in it were like, the front four rows were stunt people and the idea was the cinema, basically the movie, comes out of you it's real like, if I've got to do a promotion for a film it's going to come at you and I made everything that came at you but the first four rows were stunt people right and we took the roof off Leaveston Studios to put the tanks in so we had one huge tip tank of water but yeah. the weight of it was too much to tip so we had to have another one which would tip that one and then and we said to everyone, I was in front, we had about 12 cameras, and I'm sort of standing in front of it. I said, look, look oh, don't worry, you're going to hear this rumbling, right? And there's going to be a movie, it's going to come out, don't worry. And <laughs> everyone's sitting there, and then and I said, oh, look scared, try and look scared, and you don't know what's going on. And honestly, the first tank went boom. The second tank, and everyone was like, fucking terrified. And I, even we were in the street, just hit this rumble, and it just... And it literally took everyone to the back. They weren't stunt people. They yeah. were real people. <laughs> so none of that water was CGI. That was no, all real. No, it was all real. Okay. And it just knocked them out. And then, like, for the taxis, we <laughs> we just firing taxis in the field to took the engines out and firing them on this cannon. And we once we got the range, we put them in the studio and fire them in. Obviously, that was on a different layer yeah. than the people. And then Jay, I went to his house and said, he said, like, what are you going to do? And I said, Jay, the idea is, what do you reckon? Um jump on the back of the cinema seat and balance because he's so good at balance and he's like oh i can do that and he just just did it around his house and i was like perfect and so he said i like that so he he agreed the idea and then when he came on set like i've had people come on set and they stum at five o'clock in the morning and they get on set at like nine o'clock with the makeup and hair or whatever jay just turned up like a bit stoned in his ferrari he, i said look <laughs> Do you mind getting in this big tank of water? He just jumped in the tank of water, got straight out. He said, let's go. And he just, <laughs> I mean, it's just brilliant, you know. Like, So some people are just off the charts. Were, were you able to connect with a lot of the artists like when you were working on set or were you disconnected? Or you, um, you know, like afterwards, there's a, there's, a sec there's a time where you're very connected because you're going through the edit, they want to see it. And you're very connected and some, like you repeat, you know, like with Tricky, I did four videos and a lot of artists I've done like Desiree, I've did a couple. I've done. I mean, a lot of artists I've returned work or done their album covers or, yep. or work with them some creative way. Um, and you stick and you. But 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 the right is. Yeah. But then you don't you don't in a way because you sort of you know life their lives <laughs> take them on other journeys. My life's take on other journeys, and um, artists are very demanding. As you you know. get busy, you take on other projects, and then you're slammed. And, and, and everybody's going in different directions <laughs> as well. And yeah. like like you were saying, and I guess this is digressing a, yeah. a little bit, you were working with Goldie, and you didn't even realize he's 
pretty much living no probably two minutes from your house yeah exactly and you know what everyone that sees me oh goldie's around here somewhere and i thought i might bump into him yeah. which would be great and if i do it'd be great but i haven't seen him for some 20 years or more um but the experience of working with him was brilliant he, yeah. he did a, and i love the video in a city life i mean for what they did at the time with the budget and can't get a better track how Time revolutionary is. was this type of music video specifically to that it's more of an underground genre at this point that jungle genre that totally. that he's involved in yeah. um what I type mean, of he was a legend in london that? and he, he was way before his time and he was a very uh you know he looks a very physical presence mm. but he's a real you know gem to work with yeah yeah i yeah. i ran into him once uh yeah. two years ago and i didn't i didn't know who he was because yeah. again that's uh, coming yeah. from canada that's not my scene i was raised in yeah. the 90s but i yeah. mean I'm, all, I'm but his background i gather before me was you know when before i worked with him was um, he was doing art you know he's, yeah. like, i've seen all this he's quite well known for that before music even and and your type of uh you're talking more about surrealism in terms of your yeah. let's say your type of production yeah. did that influence any future directors that they've come back to you and said hey you had a big influence on my career and really revolutionizing the music video industry yeah d- definitely i've had a lot of people but i definitely would say um you know francis lawrence if you're out there who did uh um Hunger Games. Uh, yeah. If you look at the burning, you know, burning dresses. If you look at my fucking sorry reels, it's <laughs> like burning people. I did. I did all the technology to make someone like Manic Street Preachers is the first video I did with them, and like they're burning in it. It's like they're walking across Victoria Station and they're burning. Francis Lawrence used my producer. Uh, yeah, I definitely say I was influenced. Yeah. And do you <laughs> get credit for that, or they no, give you a call? Or it's but I should do. I'm sure he'd say that. he's a good guy and he's a very good director. But I'm sure there's little gems. And me too. You know, I've been inspired by other people. It's of course. Of it, I mean, know. it's you can even look at artists like Led Zeppelin. They're taking you know totally. the, the art gets passed on and it evolves. And, and totally. I think that's just yeah. part of the process. It's not exactly yeah. replicating yeah. it. I, li- I like yeah. Bono's thing. You know, stealing from the thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's stealing. That's the best line. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's, but that, that's, do you, when you initially would see things like that, would you take it to heart? Or are you proud of it? Um, if, uh, you know, it's hard if you're up for the similar campaigns yourself and you don't get it and someone gets it and they use your work. I've been offered um, to do uh, videos in the style of other people, you know, um, by very big artists that, and I've just said, no, we'll get, you know get the guy did it to do it you know yeah you know, I, and i wish people had done that to me but no i have seen my work copied i was the only one doing that that i was so far into technology i was so deep does know? that lead to any lawsuits and i, I don't know if it no. happened i'm just asking because you know uh in the music yeah. industry they'll yeah. be like some artists will have a blow-up song and then some artists yeah. from 20 years ago will be like well did you hear that part yeah. of the track that's stolen from me. Yeah, well, there was actually, there's an artist I did that I love this video is Gavin Friday. I don't know if you know Gavin Friday. Nope. Is. Gavin Friday's like, uh, they sort of say he's like U2's, you know, Bono's brother. He's an absolute creative influence in Ireland and all the musicians know him there. He's sort of a legendary musician. He's like one of the artists that didn't make it, but he's definitely an influential artist. I did this video for him called um, Angel. It's in that movie, um, Shakespeare in Love. And... Um, like they're pulling like Gavin out of the sky on the ropes. He's floating. So these giant pulleys, like in New York, uh, people have been pulled out of the sky. And the commercial came on literally about uh, two, three months later for a car advert, and they're pulling people out of the sky. And I was like, I phoned up my agency and said, well, why didn't I get that campaign? Let's just sue them because they nicked my idea. That's too unique. And they're like, oh, you know, you can't do that, Mike. You know, 
Yeah, there, there's there's no in the music video in the music video yeah. industry. It's hard to protect your IP, like yeah. on the concept. But yeah. obviously, if you're, it's just the audio and the music. It's much more yeah. uh, easier to kind of kind of. That's I interesting. Think, I think yeah. I think like the you know you're promoting ultimately uh, when you're doing a music video, you're promoting their music, and there is that that's gotten sold. You're you're basically saving them going on tour. Like your music video, like in my day, it'd be MTV. It'd be like you know. 68,000 people every like 10 minutes you know be watching MTV and I don't know what the numbers are on that but it's a colossal amount of people and that artist basically is playing simultaneously around the world on heavy yep. rotation and that's where the money is they after you finish the video you get paid for the video the director normally gets like 10% of the budget or something and that's it you know you don't get any royalties in commercials it's can be different I went on did a really nice um, Nat West commercials which is a one take around the world and that was really a, like fluid one take camera, and that was a lot of technology involved in that. And uh, um, that one, I would say, was a combination of all the w everything I've learned. I put into a campaign for it's for a bank called Abbey National that is in England that doesn't exist now. Got bought, but um, it was definitely changed a lot of. W but also, like the other thing I was going to say is when when you. You like they sell the video directors, right? You get yeah. you get bought by another company. They give you a retainer, and you you're retained just to work for that company. They used Wh whether to. you're producing or yeah, not, they kind of yeah. so you, you can get yeah. sort of sold on in a sense, right? In then in that day, and you can agree to go with a new contract, and you're a promised X amount yeah. of money, but also you're going to get retained for this amount of money, and you get might get a house, you know, if you're at the top of the league, um, it, and that was. And that led to something disappearing out of my brain. <laughs> no, so from from that that ex, that experience, yeah. as you you started pretty much from from nothing. You're saying yeah. a five thousand dollar budget. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah. to anybody that's getting, I have some friends back home there in A and I actually, I think it was like a thousand dollars. It was like nothing. Five hundred bucks. It was like what? Nothing. What is the difference between, let's say, a, a a uh, hundred thousand dollar budget and a million dollar budget in terms of like what you get and what you can actually, um, yeah. like the scope of work and what uh, you can yeah. deliver. Can you explain that? Like on a budgetary level? Good question. I like this one. <laughs> I, I think it's all about people quality, you know, like when you get a proper budget, you get really good technicians to work with you and it's all about a team. Like, I had an amazing DP, you know, director of photography. I had amazing um, art directors, amazing costume designers when I was doing big jobs like Jamiroquai. I had amazing construction. I had great studios to work in, great lights, great camera. You know, you have that. I mean, wh what happens is when they start chipping it away, the creative goes first, then you start losing good people. And it's teamwork. Film is teamwork. At the end, I was doing commercials. They say one year in London is seven the rest of the world. Well, I was doing commercials like for Coca-Cola in... I did all Coca-Cola around the world, but I was ended up doing Coca-Cola in like like Dubai. And it would be like, yes, they'd pay the director. Major budgets at this point. Yeah, yeah. And they'd pay the director the major budget, probably more. But they would... You'd lose all your team. You know, you'd lose all your 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 principles, your stylist, your um, your head of cameras, your yeah. your 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 um, you know, I had good gaffer, head of electricity. And, and this team, would you carry Rips. over from project to project? I take my team everywhere in the world. Like, like so you're, you're, yeah, you're I'd have them in choosing. Jamaica, yeah. and then they'd be in Cuba, then they'd be in America, then they'd be. In, but then later on, they start chipping the budgets away, and you're ended up on your own with a complete crew that doesn't speak English, and you're getting paid properly, and your work is crap, and they're wondering why your work is crap because it's the teamwork. It's the quality of the people. Yeah. It's the technicians. There's very good technicians in England. There's amazing technicians in America. 
America, you know. And it's a, you get used to working like it's any it doesn't even have to be music. It's any team you work with in the world when you yeah. guys have that synergy. When yeah. you show up on set, yeah. you know, it's clockwork. Yeah, and also they've grown up with you. They they were started on your lower budget videos and that like an example like, you know, Seamus McGarvey, you know, he's won an Oscar. And he was at Trigger Happy right from the very start. And he came in as a camera assistant. And he was always passionate and really nice person to work with. But, you know, he did um, a tournament, like amazing cinema, you know, as, di as director of photography. Mm. I mean, um, yeah, there's been some really, you know, amazing people that have come out of that early Trigger Happy days, to be honest. Were, were you part of the transition from, let's say, the MTV and music videos where kind of everything has transitioned to YouTube? Or yeah. were you kind of gone by this point? No, it was, uh, it was it was that sort of it was at the transition point. Yeah, yeah. There was um, you know, the main programs were in London with the chart show and MTV, and MTV sort of took over. It was pretty much if you had exclusive of that, and then it would go to, you know, how many sort of viral. You know, I think like uh, Brian Adams, if you look at it, is like, I don't know, eighty million. Or something. Like a lot, yeah. a lot. You know. Oh, I mean, some of these. The yeah. Like, uh, if you look at oh, NFTs. Yeah, Justin Bieber yeah. ones. It's yeah. the most one of the most viewed videos yeah. on YouTube. You're talking yeah. like yeah. nine billion. I know. I know. It's insane. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. like there's people watching so, it twenty times. I know. We don't even have nine billion people on this planet. I know. I keep watching mine trying to get them up. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. You're right. And so I didn't have that yeah. bit. I mean I wish I did because it'd be nice to like follow it through the technology of how you're working evolution of technology like you know, like I started on in a flame that became an inferno, which is a, I had single point tracking, which meant that like when your cameras, you know, when you're putting two images together, there's only one point that they'll connect. And so I'd have to hand track. Now they're infinite tracking. So two images, three images, thousand images will lock together on the same plane. I mm. mean, it's pretty incredible, the technology. Did, would you ever see yourself stepping back into that just for the experience? Yeah, we've got to do a film here, Phuket. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm talking video. to <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe, well, we're big with the Bieber. Maybe we can get Bieber out here if, yeah, if he catches on to this. Right on Surin Beach, yeah? <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. You, but you, do, is there that, like, when is the last time you, you were really involved in something, you know, at scale? I, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it is an, an event in a way. Like, when you make a movie, it's like an event. Uh, like, so, like, here's an interesting one. To get out of it, like, when you decompress. So, when I was getting out of it, it's like... um. The budgets are gone. There's like 20 kids coming in, and instead of like offering me a million, they're going to offer me like 100,000 to 10 videos. And there's 10 people that would do a 10 for any one of them. So you're basically, you can't do it. And, and a lot of musicians make their own videos. I mean, the quality, there's thousands out there, and some of them are good, but there's a lot that yeah. you have to ward through. Whereas I was doing it, there was a few. You, you, when you got a video, you wouldn't really pitch for it. The artist would want to work with you, and it was a done thing. So getting out of it, I was having a really hard time. I'd now get into, I signed with Sony Pictures and I thought that was my dream. I had a three picture deal at Sony Pictures with Doug Belgrade, who's the president of Sony. And um, Mark Gordon, <laughs> uh -oh. who was the producer. And I was doing this film called 911. And um, it was just, uh, the studios was really nice, but Mark was uh, a very interesting character and he uh, dominated the studios. And basically, the arguments between the actors, Mark, myself, and the studios just became so intense. And this I, is pre-production. This is pre-production. Yeah. I thought, uh, but it was greenlit, yeah. which means it's going into production. And I was contracted. And I still have a contract on that movie. So if they make it, I still get paid. Um, <laughs> and still supposed to deliver two more. But, um, and I still can't work with another studio. So, um, so anyhow, so um, it, it, uh, I, I just... 
I always thought I was going to be ill. So I bought a sailing boat. I'm glad I went through all this to get to what I really love. Um, uh, I bought a sailing boat and I, I bought it in San Francisco, 45-foot sloop, which is a single mast so, boat. So let's, let's take a step yeah. back to explain because I think we know yeah. where we're going with this. This, okay. is more the st- this is more the story. This is your yeah. transition of Getting leaving yeah. the industry and... and Finding uh, myself. Wait, before coming, finding yourself and way before even coming to Phuket. So which year are we at at this point when, uh, when you're making that transition? 2009 I okay think. 2009 all right yeah. continue hit it 2009 so last award yep. i won i think was 2002 i think like like the last video big video i did was something like a uh, faith hill or something that was i remember going to the music um country music awards yep. with her she's nice um that was good i went to a lot of uh, i was always up for award grammys uh yep. been up for loads of grammys um i've won uh an mtv i won a, a viewers vote i won a um a um um, Crave Design Awards. I won the the Special Effects Awards pretty much every year for a set period. But um, so yeah, so I got a boat and I went uh, straight to sea uh, for four years. It took me four years to even watch a film again. It was so painful. And you, you've jumped off port mm. uh, in what in L.A. and you've kind of just yeah. I just what, left, what type of I ship? Left what ship L- were you on? It's, you it's, it's like I was the captain. I hadn't captained a boat before. It's just me and a girl I met, Veronica, on the dock um, who gate crashed a party of mine. And my dog, Apple, and it was a 45-foot sailing sloop, and we s- sailed straight out. She was thinking we were going to Catalina, and we carried on. And 22 days later at sea, we arrived in the Marquesas, and we didn't see anything. No planes, nothing. There's where nothing. Is the, where There's is that market? Is uh, this Polynesia? So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's the other side. It's 15 degrees south of the equator, so it's the beginning of French Polynesia. Yeah. And then another thousand miles down, we went into uh, the Tomoto Islands. It was amazing. And then into Tahiti and lived How did you prepare for that? I mean, yeah. you're just like, fuck it. Uh, I'm going that way. I was mentally unstable gotcha. and I was definitely uh, at my end and I needed to find something that was solid. Like uh, being a boat is like, like a, ca- a captain on a boat is like a film. You're directing and you make a direction. You might have a crew, a big crew, a little crew. Yeah. In my case, no crew. Yeah. But, you know, you set a destiny. And I had to have a destiny that I got because I was working on this film that kept changing. And it was, uh, everything was liquid and it was really awful and it needed to be anchored. And I found, because of my childhood in the West Indies, That's the love of the ocean, yeah. the love of Phuket, the love of beaches, that I went back to that. So I sort of sunk back to my, anyhow, that was the thing I'm most proud of across the Pacific, the longest possible passage between land in this planet. And we lived out between the islands, between um, Huahini, Raiatea, met amazing people. No one knew what I did. It was just um, back to normal, like look, going, getting your At stuff. this point, uh, again, this yeah. is, don't worry, it's not a therapy session. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, Sorry. No, no, not on my side. <laughs> but um, w- were you running away or were you finding yourself? Yeah, I was running away, but I found myself. Yeah, see, I was going to throw that out there. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> came full circle there. He's yeah. good. He's good. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> should be a writer, right? <laughs> you <laughs> should, yeah. Well, um, you could write the film. <laughs> so I, we had, a, we had a, uh, a yacht captain on here, Hugo from Hugo, yeah. Hugo Hub. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of explaining to us these places like French Polynesia. Yeah. He, he says it's incest and apples. Did, did you connect to that or was it uh, a what little bit incest and apples? Incest and apples. Okay. It's like you get out there and it's just like, you know, because yeah. they've been on this island for who knows how long. And, and I think it's really, I think, I, I think like it, I can only speak like French Polynesia is really interesting because um, they got amazing background, you know, like French Polynesia, 
is French, obviously, and there's two governments. There's the Polynesian government and the French government, and there's a little bit of, you know, you know, the French have sort of taken over. But um, it's very interesting because, like, um, the French were going to do their nuclear testing there. Oh, so okay. they picked an island to test their nuclear bombs in French Polynesia. And French Polynesia, the French Polynesians, you know, this little archipelago out in the middle of nowhere that no one's and no voice they all started burning tires and the, the tires were getting seen like globally of these tires and they're bringing attention to the fact that um they're going to test a nuclear bomb here and then the french had to suddenly deal with like what's going on and so from what i gather and I this is this is way yeah, before this you is just for, it was not that long ago but yeah <clears> and um and um they negotiated a different sort of They've negotiated free education, free health, free, you know. For the locals. And to stop and let them do the do. They did the test, destroyed the reefs, you know. Jesus. And it, ha it did affect the people. Um, definitely nice people. How, um, how was it when but, you were there? But, yeah. but, but what they did afterwards is put all the tax on the food. So f people have breakdowns of the price of food. Like the Magus people in the hospital, like who sail in there, just are shocked by food. It's ridiculous to uh, to be able to eat there because it's so expensive. By the time you even yeah. arrive, so there. that's one thing I learned about French morning. But beautiful, well, nice thing too. Like everyone, I um, when when I was going away, I told everyone to bring us reading glasses and. I was able to give reading glasses to fishermen in remote islands that never got the chance to, you know, see the thread again. And so it changed people's lives on $4 pair of reading glasses. That changed me, you know, mm -hmm. changed me seeing people. And now, um, you know, I want to get more involved in, you know, Thailand is great. What know? was the biggest kind of lesson? I'm, I'm sure you've reflected back on this and yeah. you're sailing for four years and yeah. again, running away to find yourself. Yeah. It, was there any like one, two or, you know, three major takeaways from that experience? One was a lot of bit of understanding is like when you read in history books about how, you know, the British Navy used to go to bars, beat people on the head, you know, and drag them to sea. And there's something in that because like when I, when, when, when you sail across the Pacific, you know, you're basically going with the trade winds. So it's, it's, it's like a downwind run, you know, if a, if, if a cyclone were to develop, you know, your boat's going at nine knots, the system might be going at, 10 knots um, but the winds in it are going a few hundred miles an hour but you're going to pretty much outrun it or you're, you're, you're going to get away the problem is is when you want to return home and that's what happened to me so when i want to return home after four years and we want to get back to america you have to go against all the weather systems but now i became a, a good sailor so i remember um a couple of incidences of hitting some horrific storms and one was when we, when i was waiting in these little islands in the tomotos for a storm to roll off australia and the idea that I had was I'd catch the back of the storm where the winds change, spin the other way and sail north. Um, and I did that. But unfortunately, there was a cyclone developing that, uh, uh, coming down on us and I didn't see it. And so we got, um, it was like at about sort of midnight that I, um, could, I could tell that the winds were changing direction. And um, I phoned out the weather station, <coughs> Hawaii, and I gave them my position. They're like, well, <laughs> just... And I remember seeing my girlfriend, like, yeah. I was like saying, okay, it's good, you know, okay. And they were like, whatever you do, just go ahead, cut everything loose and go and go lie hole, right? Just go lie hole. There's nothing you can do. Your position's too gone. So um, I was like, oh, okay, okay. So it should be what, like, <laughs> you know, like 36 hours, he said. So all right, 36 hours would be a little rough, okay. 
So I said, oh, it's great, Veronica, you know, 36 hours. I said, fucking hell. <laughs> and so, so we did that, you know, went a hole. But the boat was, the waves started getting bigger and bigger. And then they were like, the way the boat was coming down the wave sideways. It was like shuddering. Fuck and I was hell. like, fucking hell. So this isn't going to last. So I thought we'd head off more towards Japan. So we put the engines on full blast, put the storm sails on, and literally fought for our lives for 36 hours. I drank 24 cans of Red Bull. I collapsed and my girlfriend came. It's like a blizzard. It's yeah. like, and I'm like, F -f -f -f. you know, it's like the, the the storm is just screaming at you, howling. It's lightning, fort lightning. and You're just running yeah, on adrenaline. I'm just like totally out. And then when I collapsed, like you're strapped in, the helm's on the outside. It's totally strapped in with like um, wet weather gear on. And then Veronica crawled out and she unbuckled me, buckled herself in. I got back in and I fell asleep. And I remember waking up and I looked out and it was just like vertical waves dropping behind her. She was like catatonic, like just steering the boat and the waves are just coming down like that. <laughs> so, you know, you have to stare every single angle, single wave. Anyhow, if you've got one more story, oh, that's right? Why I'm, that's why I'm a land lover. So, <laughs> so, so after that, I thought, oh, okay, so British Navy, why are they bang? So yeah. we're now in Hawaii. We made it to Hawaii. So I'm in Hawaii and I was like, well, this is going to be a difficult passage because that wasn't supposed to be, but I know the one because you have to go from Hawaii, you've got to go up to the Pacific High, through the Pacific High and come back to California. And that's notorious. And you normally use boat delivery like Hugo's. Yeah. Hugo's a boat delivery captain. Yeah. That means he's a fucking experienced, ballsy captain. And he is, right? I've met him. And, um, but they're expensive, those captains, right? Because they want, they want to get paid by the mile. And so, and I'm cheap. So <laughs> I, what I did is I phoned like four mates in California, which you shouldn't do. I phoned um, Roderick, if you're listening, sorry, uh, Jarmo and Sam. And um, they flew, and I said, come on, dude, let's go surfing through the Hawaiian chain. So they've all brought their surf gear out. And we went surfing for like a couple of weeks. Like uh, off the reefs or? Yeah, yeah. Like, nice. no, uh, you know, we sailed through the Hawaiian chain. So we're in um, like uh, Oahu and we sailed up to the last island, um, in the wine chain and once we're there um we like my plan was just like you know let's just do it let's just sail why do we why what do you have to go back for you know like, where, where were you headed just to just to sail through the chain or no we were no my they were headed to sail through the chain to go surf for a holiday yep. but my plan was to get a crew to come up to california get my boat back and and then they were like ballsy people anyhow so we set off and so they agreed it like oh come on dude let's go and they went okay let's go let's go we sail back. We're not fly back. Yeah. So I had all wet weather gear ready and we headed off. And the first thing we hit after about a thousand miles north was the whole of the Pacific nations were doing war games. Oh, so we're this tiny little dot, dot going through the war games, like aircraft carriers, like uh, just crazy. Like, and, the, and the captains of the aircraft carrier called me and he's like, you know, we're a limit. We're a restricted maneuvered you know vessel you need to give way and i'm a tiny little dot and i'm like we are fighting our way through and he's like okay you know like because <laughs> like, they captains yeah. no captains you know they they probably got a little boat themselves they could see we're tiny and we got through the war games and then the plan was to get into the pacific high so we got into the high i'd bought shitloads of burritos and food like that so we'd all been eating they're pissed off at me because it's burritos every day it's like oh not more burritos anyhow so it burritos like every day morning and so we're going north and we get into the pacific high yeah 
And the plan is the Pacific High is like about, you know, two, 3,000 miles of high pressure, and it basically makes all the climate in California. That's why California is good. And it migrates, just moves a little bit, comes down. And, you know, we get into the high. So in your high, it's like a desert. It's just like the doldrums. It's completely, and that's where that junk is, you know, that big waste yeah, patch yeah, that's, yeah. that's around the high. So we go through, you know, bits of broken refrigerators because it's this after the tsunami from Japan. So all that crap's still in the sea. So a lot of times we got caught up and I'd have to dive and cut bits off the bottom of the boat. Shit. And anyhow, we get through and everyone's in a good spirit and it's great. And then we're watching movies going through the high and then the high starts moving and we're in the high and we're like moving slowly down, slowly with the high that's moving and as it gets closer to California, it makes this sort of convergence of there's about a thousand miles distance between the high and San Francisco or just below now. It's come lower. And when we come out of it, it's just ripping like solid, like treacle ocean, like just black. You know, it's just Shit. horrific. And and so we're all in there and now it's freezing because this water is freezing now. We come from Hawaii. So they got all that, and so I issue them all with their wet weather gear. They didn't like, know what they signed. They up didn't for know it. what they signed <laughs> up for. Um, one of them was a, a recovering alcoholic, which is why I say, you know, one of them was uh, like on the run, and one of them was uh, um, uh, just a very strong geezer, and a really nice guy. But um, what happened is, is like I can see, like if you take troubled people to see and put them in, they're really strong. They are the best. Like, I can see now why the Royal Navy used to do that. If you take a really out-of-control drunk person out of a bar and you put them in a really life-threatening, they really do stand up. You know? <laughs> really? They're the ones why, you want. Why, why do they're you think the that is? Just because they're, because they're dry now and they're really having to come to terms with it. And they've, and they've, they, I mean, these guys were very strong. Mm. We, anyhow, at one point, um, like, Jama was on the reel, um, on, the, on the helm, and uh, there's a little window and he, he, he's not very good at helming, so it's, crashing into the waves and the boat is juddering and almost stopping and i'm like yeah fucking gonna kill us you know like and you can only have one hour on the helm you're freezing and i'd learned all this from you know the storm i'd gone through with veronica except that storm was a hot storm you know a tropical storm yeah. this was a fucking freezing and um and um i left the window just a little jar open and then i ran out and thing buckled myself in told jama you know you're gonna fucking kill us so I'm on the helm, and then look back, and the fucking wave comes out. The boat goes over. All the stanchions break. All the rigging Fuck. comes off the front. Almost all our boards are gone. And then it comes up, and as it, the boat self rights, and all our little red lights are on, and I'm underwater, and I'm looking into the boat, and all the burritos have come out for the <laughs> toilets. And they're in there fighting to get out of the smell and the burritos. And I was in fighting to get in, and then we looked at each other. It's like, what's worse? You know, like... <laughs> there's a fucking freezing ocean all that shit <laughs> and anyhow hell. so uh, when we got eventually uh, Jamo left his stuff I didn't see him for a year and he what, left it. Were, were they, just, did they leave on good terms left, or they were a bit they pissed left, off? No, he, he left it, they left in shock. We were all in shock. But okay. they're really close friends now, like super close friends like, and they came back and they thanked me for a life experience but yeah, I mean 
Yeah, I learned that, you know, like the sort of people that stand up, you know, I mean, like, you know, you have to be really brutal, you know, at sea, like you go save each other's lives. Yeah, there's not a, we not had a one set of dry clothes. We had to change the one oh. set of dry clothes after that brutal incident. That was it. So we had to come in, strip down, put the dry set on, the dry person went out and then until so we're just sitting there eating burritos. And it was, that, was, that was it. <laughs> well, what kind of burritos were they? Chicken or beef? Did you at least? Oh, the, the, oh yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the little microwave yeah, ones. Yeah. Oh, those are. Shit, man. Was, there's not even food no, inside. No, it's just no, mush. You know, but you're talking about a month journey, like so. The, the fresh food went after. I'd say it was burritos for two weeks. Yeah, but you yeah. can't be. You can't fish half the time, or so I learned that as well. Yeah, <laughs> good food is important. Um, you can fish, but it was hard. when I I caught when I was when I was going into South Pacific. I caught um some really big um you know um yellow f t uh, fin and a uh, yellowtail and um uh. Tuna? No, tuna. What's the one big. with the big spine all the way down? The Marlin? Mar no. Oh, um, I don't know. I'm not oh, a fisherman. No. Anyhow, uh, just the size of their eye, killing them, was just too much for me. Yeah, just and it's probably too much for one person to eat. Just way too much. So, yeah, that's what we did. I had freezer, I froze it, and when I get into a port, uh, and into it, there's no ports, but when I got to a beach, I'd go, I'd give it away. And that was really funny. So, uh, another one, like, uh, when I arrived, anyone sailing it, so I arrive in French Polynesia. I arrive in the uh, the um, uh, Aha or Apataki, I think it is, which is a little uh, little island. Uh, so it's not an island. It's a little. Um, 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 what's it? What's yeah, it I know, like an atoll. No, or it's an atoll. Is yeah. that it? It's an atoll. So you just go into the atoll, which is just like a Crushed beach. It. You know? I, don't, I don't know yeah. how I pulled that one out of my ass. My brain, <laughs> fried from directing. There we go. But anyhow, so we went into Seattle, and then like like at, at night, you know, you you arrived there. We'd have been we we'd been sailing. It's a thousand miles down from the Marquesas. We've been sailing for a week. We hadn't seen anyone, and we go into the atoll, and we were in there, and then um, I hear this like you know, knocking, knock knock, on the side of the boat, and I look over, and there's this guy like with like his hands like that and his black pearls he's got all black oh, pearls fuck. and like like literally like that thousand black pearls and I'm like wow you know he's like and he's a pearl farmer I, well he works for a pearl farm one or the other but he's got them and he wants alcohol bullets or coke um okay, cans of coke Co yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cans of and um and and uh, we don't have cans of coke and we don't have bullets we've got loads of alcohol yeah. so he comes aboard and then i just you know like put all the pearls out and i'm looking at him and it's like oh, that's a lot of pearls so I gave him pretty much all the alcohol. You regret that, eh? And then, and then, <laughs> literally, all the way through Polynesia, I'm swapping pearls <laughs> for alcohol. And by the end, so that's the time I, back, I got none. <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming because you're getting a basically, let's say the the factory farm these yeah. pearls. I mean, it's probably a, a, it's yeah. worth a pretty penny. Worth, but I, I but honestly, by the time I got all the way through the chain over years, I had nothing no left. nothing left. I'd, I'd begging for alcohol the, the alcohol was so expensive and hard to get you know um yeah. because of the taxes because of the burning you know because of the bomb yeah and, and getting it in there as well it's yeah. gonna be a bit of a nightmare yeah so at, at this point you've 2009 you've went on the four-year journey you're coming back and now is yeah. this bringing us up to like back in la 2013 and let's connect that all together like yeah you've come you you've you ran away. You found yourself. You're back in LA. Yeah. What did you kind of do between that 2013 yeah. up yeah. until the point in which you came to Phuket? And it's a long-winded question. Yeah. And yeah. when did you come to Phuket first? So let's let's stitch that all together. Yeah, Phuket. I used to come. I, I'd come to Thailand. I got friends that live in Koh Chang, okay. and um, they and I've always liked Koh Chang, and um, and I was heading for Koh Chang. 
Um, but the the pandemic hit and um, I had Sa- to do the sailing or no flying. no I, f- okay. I was flew in to see if I'm going to bring my boat so now I have a bigger boat I've got a, f- a sixty foot catch and it's called the Mine Star and it's um, very mushroom related. Love yes, I, oh, I saw that on, on yeah. your, your LinkedIn yeah. profile, Mind yeah. Star, and then we'll, uh, later we'll talk about gig, yeah. Gigster. Yeah, let's talk about that in a bit. Oh. Okay, uh, yeah, and continue. Then, uh, yeah, so yeah, I set up a company, Gigster, but uh, but the um, uh, the the Mind Star. No, no, I had got to Phuket um, because right, yeah. uh, I had to go sandbox. So I came into Phuket and did the, the uh, two okay. weeks sandbox, and then I really started exploring Phuket. Because it was open, but you couldn't leave Phuket, and I realised, you know what? I really like the infrastructure here, and well, it's really quite nice. I didn't think it was as nice as it is, and um, I really like. Whoa, 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 whoa! Take a step back. It, nobody Phuket sucks. <laughs> we're, we're try- yeah, yeah, it's crap. Yeah, yeah it's Don't crap. Don't come here. Come here. <laughs> the problem but, with Phuket is everyone yeah. thinks it's all about Patong, and I want it that way forever. Yeah, yeah, it's shit here. Don't come. Yeah, here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I haven't visited <laughs> Patong, but you're right. Um, it, 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 it's, it, I, I love them. Um, where I am, Camelot. Oh, it's great, yeah. And this area and the beaches. Because you find out really quickly, you have everything you need here. Yeah. Sorry, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You, yeah. It's, it's, no. it, uh, you have everything you need. And, and, and did that kind of hinder you from jump? Because these places like Copenhagen, Koh Samui, Koh Phi Phi, Krabi, Koh Chang. Yeah. You can live in Phuket and you go there and then yeah. you come back. Yeah, So totally. did you end up getting out to Koh Chang? I, I, yeah, I did. I did went. To, I went back out to Koh Chang. Um, it's really. It was quite interesting this trip because I came in October, and you could see the devastation of the the people had gone through with the hardship of no tourists, and literally, you know, um, Koh Lanta was completely deserted. Those beaches, like just, and you keep seeing these amazing properties that just run down, and you realize that they've just been left, and you know, maybe the tenants have gone bust and. Yep. waiting for new tenants i mean i've seen it slowly growing you know and then when i got back here just before christmas tourism was sort of you know it's always been quite good in phuket but it's out picking there, up now yeah out there it's like bleak you know Co- and kochang mm-hmm. bleak you know like no one so yeah, that's why i haven't left the island in two, two years because i mean i could go with my girlfriend and and it's nice and all but you're gonna get to these places and yeah there's nothing to do, like literally well, nothing. Well, I did actually go to, I hired a long tail, just me and my girlfriend, and um, we went to James Bond Island. Yeah, we were the only ones there. Yeah, it was amazing. Like that's a bit of a long it tail. It was eh? amazing. No, we went from um, Pangna. Yeah, Panang. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, it, but it was amazing. You know, like no one there. You know, like it was. So I've seen the best of Thailand. I think you know that it's. That it's yeah. just deserted, beautiful beaches. You know, it, in a way, you know, I think it's perhaps changing tourism because the quality of tourism is slightly, they have to pay more because they've got to do a sandbox. They've yeah. got to qualify. So it might have changed it in a nice way, you know. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's upgrading. It's, yeah. it's kind of Thailand's in general going from a three-star to like a four. I see it. That's yeah. what it feels like. I mean, it, yeah. obviously not five-star. That's it's a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah but, but no, it is. It's but. Um, and some of the hotels we stayed in, we, we were the only ones, which is sad. But then, in a way, it was just incredible to see, you know, how beautiful the country is without thousands of people. So, how how did you decided to come here specifically to see if you would bring your boat here? Yeah, I would and like to. Yeah, I was going to sail here. It's nice to you know see what the anchorage is. That's you know, like what the lay of the land is. Um, Do you think you'll bring your boat here? It's or? rare, you know. Like I don't like sailing through lightning. I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> when you cross the equator, you have to go through sheet lightning. It's terrifying, but I've seen a lot of lightning here. So, yeah, other, no, I don't. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's a beautiful place to sail. Um, it, it's it's a beautiful island. I don't know. I'm going to spend more time. Once you get the boat, it's big. You know, you got to take all the way. It's a journey, and you're going to yeah. have to go back and maybe just buy a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe so Hugh, Hugo can bring yeah. it on over. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it. Go. Hugo, do a deal. Hugo, bring that boat over. <laughs> What um <laughs> what what are, what's your long term plans like? Do you plan to just settle in Phuket, where you kind of jump around a bit, or is you just going day by day now? You know, I came to see if I would could settle here. Actually, that's why I spent I've been here four months. Yeah, and uh, I like it a lot. Um, so I'm just sort of living really, not like a tourist, just um, and getting trying to get involved in more in the community side of it. Um, but uh, yeah, what I've seen I really like. I'm gonna head off to California soon. I'm gonna go to look at you know i'd like to get maybe a bit of filmmaking out here you know something different you Do know? some work here yeah, I, there's I, a, the technology's different now this uh, you don't need so many you don't need the hollywood names you don't need the you don't need there's so many more outlets now you yeah know? i know a guy here a german guy well we got hans back on the the ones and twos over there yeah um and another guy here is a german guy he does production but mostly for like swiss um production right. like but it's more television Right, and he's he's usually a lot of the film. He tells me they go out to Pungna. It's just cheaper. Like they'll literally buy like rent land for four months, strip the land, and like do like a Big Brother there or something. Right, yeah. But yeah, that that's yeah. It, there's definitely value here, just because the labor's so cheap as well. Yeah, to get that going. Yeah. Um, and technology's small. Like you don't need many people. Look, you got you got but what, the, three cameras running, and you got one person doing it. But I mean, like I, that was once that would have been like three people on each camera. And yeah, we got, <laughs> but. The one thing that uh, another I had a a guy that helped with the lighting he was he was on um he was on the the podcast as well and he was helping uh, or sorry he was basically explaining the one problem when you get into large production in Phuket is just the the equipment is not available right where do you get the cranes where do you like really when you want to scale yeah he's like it can get a bit difficult at that level but then look again look you mm -hmm. know I used to shoot everything from a helicopter and a drone is amazing now so it does you the know, drone. I mean they're so steady like you know they stabilize themselves so I don't know you I think you could be nice to try and film. I'd like to cross the world on an iPhone, and it'd be nice to make a movie on an iPhone, you know? Now, the beauty about Phuket, it's specifically where we live. Yeah. I mean, the scenery is is breathtaking. I mean, if yeah. you're living in, if you're a, a, a film producer living in Toronto, Canada, yeah. you got to take your whole team halfway across the world just to put something together. The, yeah. the And and obviously, I'm, I'm not in the industry, but I, what is your opinion on that in terms of, like, the natural environment that you have to work with? Well, I mean... It, it, the light levels are incredible. I mean, yeah, the locations are stunning. Um, it's just the stories. I mean, good stories would work anywhere. So um, I haven't really seen the equipment you got. Seems pretty good, but I haven't really seen. Oh, this, is, any, this is basic. I haven't seen you know. No, much. No, no. I haven't seen the film side of Phuket. I don't think it's. I don't know what the bringing it in would be too difficult. I can't imagine that it's so much smaller than it used to be. What would You've stepped outside of the, the directing and the production. How many yeah. years has it been now since you've really kind of yeah. picked up the camera? Yeah. Um, yeah, professionally like that, 10. 10 years. Yeah. Is there a part of you that is still, you know, it's kind of like the retired sports athlete that wants to, wants to get back in the ring? Yeah, it's painful. It's really painful because the way I left it, you know, like I left it at the top in, in you know, my dream to get the studio. 
to get a deal to do a film of that scale um, was a dream, and it was a great film, psychological thriller, and I really liked it. But the the comp to step away from that, it'd have to be really bad, and it was terrible. Like mm -hmm. the the middle management and all the the arguments and the creative frustrations is is just destroying. You know, I didn't have children. I'd really put my my whole life yeah. into film. You know, I've done it all my life. So and, and at yeah. that level of, of scale, I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of and, uh, and it is hard because like, if I started now, I would never be able to get those technicians again. I'd have to work my way back and build the team and, and start build a from team. Scratch, you know, well. And and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and the, some of those technicians are still in it, like you say, like um, and some are, and some are gone. Um, mm. The ones that um, yeah, that seem to have, you know, I mean, the directors of photography is a good one in a way. If you're going to think about getting into film. I would say directing is Not so me. painful, it's so emotional, it's so you give so much of yourself. But if you DP it, like you shoot it and you study the lighting and you create the atmosphere, it's a lifelong job because you don't get the pain, you don't suffer so much with the story, but you do get all the rewards mm. afterwards, you know. So, and I think there's more long liberty to like director, you either direct or you don't. You have to make your own projects, you have to. You have to really inspire people to believe that this is a good project or not. It's a, it's Ooh. tiring. Directors specifically, like from the movie industry, who inspires you? Well, the ones that really inspired me was Tarkovsky. He's a Russian director. I loved his work. I just love his camera motion. I like his poetry, it, in in his dialogue. I love um, Mike Lee. His confidence. You know, he's an English director. I love the way that Mike Lee um, is confident enough not to even move the cameras. You know, he choreographs the actors to to the camera uh, he's just a genius director there's some that's a real confidence you know mm. that um another level um i like you know old english movies like you know performance you know um uh, was that um donald cameron mm. um although nicholas Rowe got credit for it i think he was the dp um but um obviously you know italian cinema like French New Wave cinema. I really like the, all the classic cinema. Um, you know, I do like David Fincher's works, you know, yep. Fight Club and everything he's done. Um, he'd probably be most the one I most like today. I don't, I, I, I really don't like a lot of Hollywood movies at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've always been a bit of a film buff, and anytime people ask me, like, what's your favorite movie? It usually, the, the question is more, who's your favorite director? Yeah, who, who's I, yours? Um, I would say Kubrick is up there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can go back to like Ing Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. Um, totally. Um, I I I jump around like I like your Wes Anderson's, your Paul Thomas. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson as well. I think. Yeah. Is. I know. I know. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's producer. I used to work with her in London at the beginning of our days, Joanne, and she's really good. And she's done all his movies, and she they stuck together. So that's another thing. Yeah, because I came from a poor background, um, the money was more it could <coughs> influence me. The, um, I would take jobs um, in commercials um, that perhaps shouldn't shouldn't have, because um, it was flattering. Um, you really just got to uh, the producer director relationship has got to be the ultimate stick together, come what may. You got to have the right producer from the start, you know. Maybe what, some of my producers. What is the like role of the much. of the producer in that sense? Is it purely is it purely uh, monetary, or are they uh, providing like um, uh, creative direction as well? It depends on what industry. So in cinema, uh, a producer might actually find the script, find the 
um, writers to work with, find a director, cast it. Um, a real producer would do that. But in music videos, a producer really, the director does that. The, uh, the producer really um, pulls all the gear together, gets the crew together, gets them paid, negotiates their deal, finds the locations or recommends locations, makes it all the logistics work. Um, in cinema, the the, the producer's really been more creative than the line producer in a cinema is actually doing what a producer does in music videos, which is pulling all the gear mm. together, getting the deals, getting the... Gear. So they've got to have a very un great understanding. A good producer should have a good understanding of, of the technique of making film and what equipment. Some of the mistakes I've made in my career is I've had producers um, in London... Um, that have booked the gear for me before I've even looked at it. So you've turned up on set, like one particularly in the south of France. Um, I turned up on set with all the wrong gear, you know, he, and it was a lot of money and a lot of gear, technocranes and all these huge lightings, um, lighting trucks, and it was all wrong. You know, it didn't need that. It needed different gear. It needed wrong in what sense? Overkill or just equipment you're not it, comfortable it was the wrong, with? It was the wrong way to have done that project. It needed, um, it needed like, uh, motion control units, not cranes. It needed... So it needed different gear, similar, but it does different things. And then when you're having to make this very high-end script on the wrong gear, you're making machines do things they're not built to do. It can be really frustrating that was another that that's something you know you really need a knowledge producer a, you need a creative producer a good yep. producer is creative you know and uh so let, let's let's go to well it's not such a lighter note but because we are a medicinal mushroom company or yeah. who knows now we're an nft company we don't know yet mm. uh, but um what what are your thoughts of of different types of I don't want to say so much not just psychedelics but maybe things like cambo ayahuasca uh, yeah. psilocybin magic mushrooms uh, even LSD have you ever um, used these types of let's call them medicines yeah. for personal healing Yeah, I've I've used cambo. You know, cambo is 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 quite um, a sort of brutal sense of cleansing. You know, it's like you. You, I, I believe it resonates all your organs at such a high frequency. Well, let's explain in case no one. The yeah. cambo is with the the frog yeah. venom, and you're you're burning yourself. Yeah, the frog. It's a frog frog venom. They put it onto a stick. I think it originates in sort of the Amazon. It's that the frogs are illegal to bring out of the Amazon, although cambo itself is is fine. Um, and you you put it on little little um, on my arm. I had it like little dots, and then it's burnt into your arm. It's, um reacts very quickly like within a few minutes you, you your head feels like it's going to explode it's really uncomfortable your 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 um all your organs start like vibrating at such high frequency that you basically shed everything so it is a good, i can see it would be good for i don't know what it, you can't say what it can cure but i can see it could cure a lot of things because you're cleansing such, such a rapid you're getting the, the, that yeah. pesticide out of your body um, yeah. and uh yeah i have to experiment with all <coughs> sorts of mushrooms um incredible like you know like now they're just realizing what they are in california they're going to like legalize they're going to have their very first um like decriminalize yeah i know it is yeah. in Oak oakland it became decriminalized in colorado as well okay yeah so it's amazing i mean that's one nice thing about california and well, at least it's not Schedule 1 in these places because most of the U.S., like Florida, Texas, yeah. it's Schedule 1, which means it's on the same, uh, like, uh, in terms of um, if you were to get in trouble and get caught, with yeah. that, it's the same level as cocaine, wow. which is just insane. It's, uh, well, my my neighbor and a good friend is John Sharon, who's the um, head of uh, mental health for um, the county of, uh, of Los Angeles. So it's a really high up position, especially during the pandemic. 
and he's doing they're, they're doing research on um, mushrooms at the moment you know and they've seen all the the benefits so they're yeah. like actively researching to bring it into their into the forefront yeah i think eventually so it, it definitely will happen i think more at like the therapeutic level yeah um but it will be a slow process and and obviously not in every state uh, yeah you're not going to get this in red states either no perhaps yeah. not um to 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 jump back because again we are in thailand we're in phuket can you kind of just walk walk you through walk someone through the typical day of your life and, and how you're currently living in phuket what are you doing for fun when you wake up in the morning uh, what is your routine uh just so people can understand that phuket's not just all fun and games we actually live here and just enjoy yeah. life like anyone else yeah well um i I'm quite healthy so okay. at the moment. So up from my terribly unhealthy past. So I get up in the morning. I walk down. I'm very lucky. Where I live in Kamala, I've got access to the beach. So I walk down the flight of steps and I walk all the way down the beach and I go to the same person every day and I get a uh, fresh mango and banana without any sugar. Yeah. And uh, and I witness it being made and I drink that. And then I normally head down south. I love uh, wingboarding. So I bought a wing. Um, it's like... As in you, you yeah. drive, drive down there and you're going to the other side of yeah, the Yeah, where the winds are. Okay. Uh, and it's incredible down there. <clears throat> and I um, love uh, wingboarding and I've um, bought myself a wing now. And uh, it's, and uh, I use their hydrofoil, uh, hydroplanes, I should say, and um, foils. And uh, I do that on the other side of the island, which is a passion of mine. Um, it's like windsurfing. It works the same. You know, when you put your mask forward, it, you'll go that way. And when you it's, put it back, it's not like it doesn't have one of those big ass batteries on it. Too no, well. no, that the, the wing foil doesn't, but I have actually been doing that as well. E-foiling yeah, on this side. I'm learning it, but I'm in the water all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal. And you have to watch that foil. It's huge. It comes like, yeah, you, know, you see them all up here at Surin. They're I think they come from. They're at the Surin Hotel. Right. They're ripping up and around. Right, I yeah. might go there and try it because yeah. um, I've been. I've tried a few, and <clears> it is. <throat> a little, I mean, they are expensive pieces of machinery, so it's nice just to be able to get them for. I think they're fifteen hundred bar for, for the a, day. It's good yeah, enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah otherwise, great. you're going to spend about six hundred thousand baht. Yeah. How many? Yeah. I don't think yeah. you can use it. That I think many. you get <laughs> <laughs> I'm yet to um, stay standing up on it. Anyhow. Yeah. But on the on the wing fall, I do better because you got the the balance of the sail, and it's more wind than I'm used yeah. to sailing. So I'm, I'm I, I love obviously the ocean. And um, is this kind of the same routine yeah. every day or, or uh, pretty like much? I'm like, you know, like sort of living quite a healthy life out here. Yeah. I don't know a lot of people, to be honest. I'm sort of just that's a good thing, too, yeah. though, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a very small it, it kind of remind like from Canada, we have cottage country. And kind of when you get up to cottage country, you know how you're out in the boats, everyone's doing this and doing that. Yeah. It's nice at times, but there's other times where you go to dinner or lunch and you don't want to see anyone. Yeah. And then, you know. You gotta, yeah, you gotta yeah. keep a face on. It's a very small community, right. but it's it's good. Keep it as small as you can because it's nice too. Right. Okay. I did go. Um, I went sailing with Hugo, who you had on here. So I did meet him, and oh, okay. he, and that's where I realized he is a good sailor. Yeah, he was great. He he came and he anchored his boat in uh, or one that he was um, delivering in uh, Kamala. Okay. And I met him, and he said, "Come join it." When we took the boat up to uh, uh, Yacht Haven, and it was a great day just sailing. I love sailing. So. Yeah. So things like that, really. 
And are, are you doing any other types of activities? Because Muay Thai is popular on the island or yoga or, or even just meditation. I do or, yoga, yeah. I yeah. do yoga. I do Bikram yoga, but I've set that up where I where I am. It's hot enough here. You don't need to go to a studio. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's been the pandemic, so I've been a bit aware of that. I run um, Bangtao Beach twice. I do it like front to top to bottom. Bangtao Beach. Bangtao, yeah. Like it's about 14 kilometers. Bit, you run that? Far. I love it. Jesus. I'm addicted to it. That is a serious. Twice a week. That is a serious run. I know. I've been crazy. And you're going... You're going there and back. and back that's 14k yeah, yeah. and Fuck it takes me, me about it takes a while but i mean I, I i would do it on tides you know i wish for the tide to where go do out. you start like right by the little fisherman boats here like, no like i start down the other end you know in the 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 the, uh, the national park at the bottom there oh you go all the way to you start at land i start i park okay. there and gotcha. then i run up to uh catch okay and then I, back. I catch just before catch because because there's a water and yeah it comes yeah. the jetty comes out yeah yeah, yeah. there and then i and then i go back I love it. How do you, I see, I try to do syringe, but some days, like, if the tide's too high, yeah. like, the water's like that, or the, yeah. the bank's like that. I just do it on tide charts. See, I live in California, I live on a beach as well, yeah. and uh, it's tide charts. So I you wait till, wait till it's way out. And I just, the time of year, everything, you know, now, now they're yeah. great, you know. So, yeah, but, I mean, low tide tonight is probably 7 o'clock, but I, I catch it just before sunset. I guess yeah, as low I, as it can go. I try. I, I kind of run around here. I'll run from here all the way up to that lookout yeah. in Camel. Yeah, it's right. when I can. I like. Uh, I just do it on the sand. I don't want to hurt my knees. Yeah. Um. So, what what time we got to be past an hour and a half? No. Yeah, one twenty. Oh, perfect. See, I always spot on. Well, perfect. Hey. Um. <laughs> so before we before we wrap it up, I think we've covered everything. We stories, mushrooms, and who do I invoice? Yeah. <laughs> 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 the invoice is coming. Hans is going to say, I get the invoice. Don't I get worry. paid in mushrooms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody gets paid in mushrooms. That's sounds, what they come sounds in. Sounds good. <laughs> when, what, what is, uh, so you're kind of waiting it out here now and just enjoying life. Is there any immediate future plans or what's next for you in the next couple of months? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I've started discussing maybe leasing where I'm staying for a year, you know? Yeah. Um, I've got to go back to California and sort some stuff out. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I might be changing out my boat. I might like to do some documentaries here. Yeah. I've got a good idea, I think. Okay. Yeah. Are, are you allowed to speak about that or kind no, of keep that? No, because no, every time I speak about it, someone it does rips it, it off. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, we started to do one well, yeah. before Hans. I, I was doing a documentary. Not so much a documentary, like a, a series. Yeah. I was calling it People of Phuket. Yeah. And then actually someone came out before us and did it. But, right. I mean, sorry, guys, but it's shit. Is it? Oh, it's shit. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's fucking tag that one and clip it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, we, we had this idea, and our idea was the people that come on the podcast yeah. will then make, like, a day in the life of them where it's kind of an interview, but it's yeah. more intimate yeah. um, with B-roll overlay text. So, like, imagine we're interviewing you, but that interview, we, we, we actually filmed one. We interview them in their home. Yeah. And then we talk about, it's more about what is your daily routine? And it's just a 10 minute video mm. just, and to diversify the podcast. So people anywhere in the world, if anyone's in the music industry, they can connect to that and be like, fuck, I can come and live there. And oh wait, Phuket and living overseas is not just party beach clubs, drinking, raging. It's like, no, you can have a normal life over here. Actually, that was kind of the intention of it. No, it's great. I yeah. mean, the people I have met are pretty much just working here from home yeah. I'm from wherever they live in the world and they're loving it you know there's a lot of people here now that are not leaving um they're no. just trying to get visas to start out carrying working <coughs> like uh 
you know, they're big sales companies. They don't need to go to their offices anymore. There's one person I know who's got a staff of 20 and he's here and he just manages it from here. Yeah, as long as you can do the time zone, that's yeah. what's important. Yeah. If you can get along with your time zone. See, I work with China, so it's okay. Right. But I mean, yeah, if you're working in the U.S., maybe not so easy. Yeah. But I, it's it's a pretty simple life here. The beauty of living here is that whole the whole there's no more commuting to work. Yeah. You just get up, you go. And a lot of people they say, "Well, I can't work." I've been working from home for twelve years. So when the pandemic yeah. hit, I was like, Great. "Yeah." So and you caught COVID. I I think every <laughs> I probably caught COVID three Did times you? now. Yeah, Jesus. really. Yeah, Who yeah. knows? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Really. At this point, I just I give up. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's I don't the know. The end of it now, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think we're all getting out of jail now. So, yeah. so what's it from the other side of Phuket? Yeah. Is it is this normal? I mean, is it now fully the the, the, tourists? This is, is busy. November was busy when you came. Was yeah. busy. It's dying down now. Okay. If you went to Surin Beach, like last high season, or even yeah. you know, June, July, yeah, there was no like literally nobody. Right. Um, we even had lockdowns here and everything where really? like there were regional lockdowns. Like you, there was a point where like you're in Kamala, you wouldn't have been able to drive here. There's police barricades. Wow. Yeah. But you know, it, so yeah. but from the years before COVID, was oh, it's it, crazy. It was no, no, crazy. Ten, ten. So what do you think it will go back to that? Or you think it's going to be forever changed? Uh, I think uh, maybe next high season, it's on its way back to so that. What's, what's the difference? T- double. What you uh, saw. Is it China? Yep. Because it's closed, isn't it? less chinese well the chinese aren't that bad because they stay in the resorts and they stay on tour buses that are prepaid in china so a lot of the money in china for tourism never leaves china that's terrible it is what it is and then when they come here they go on the tour buses and they go to all these hot spots that we would never go to anyways like prom tep cape or something stupid like that and the chinese they will just be at a big Chinese resort. They even have specific resorts for the Chinese off the island in like Koyao Yai. I ran into one once and got, I speak Chinese, so I got absolutely wasted with like 100 Chinese guys. Right. On wow. the, the, the resort is only Chinese. Wow. So they kind of like, uh, you know, seclude them in that sense. And the Chinese, you don't really see them too much at the restaurants because most of them, they don't like a hamburger or a steak or a pasta. So yeah. what they end up doing is going to Chinese restaurants yeah. or going to the 7-Eleven and getting a cup of noodle. So you'll see the buses pull up to the 7-Eleven and they will just rape the whole cup of noodle <laughs> section. And then they go back to their hotels. Yeah, and yeah. if that's what they, it's it's the same for us. If right. you go to China too and yeah, yeah, yeah. you have trouble, you might try to f- yeah. eat a Snickers bar. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen a lot of, I mean, I guess there's a lot of English people here. I haven't seen many Americans. But that's maybe a good thing. A lot of French, I think. Well, it's, it's a bit it's a bit far. Americans, Canadians, yeah. we're lazy. Well, I don't want to say we're lazy. It's just much cheaper and easier to go to the Caribbean. No, you're right. Because it's an hour flight, two hour flight. If you come, if you're from the U.S. or Canada, yeah. you need to come for two weeks. It takes you seven days to get over jet lag. Nah. So, and a lot of and that's what's shitty about Canada and U.S. Yeah. Unless you work for yourself or you work for a company, yeah. one week is your whole year's vacation yeah, for yeah. some fucked up reason. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Um, We'll give you your camera. You can plug yourself, whatever you're looking to plug. I don't know if it's that much. You don't have to. Um, Okay, I'll plug the mic. So we're going to cut to here and uh, tell us whatever you want to plug. So to my friends in California, (laughs) it's what affects you most. You have to come out on the Mind Star this summer. Uh, I've uh, finally got um, all its licenses together, and um, uh, we have to join our mushroom parties. There we go. And where can everyone find you? Should they? Is it email, Instagram, LinkedIn? What's yeah, um, um, Mindstar on um, uh, LinkedIn or um, uh, Instagram or Facebook. 
Yeah. Okay, and yeah. uh, he, you will respond, right? But ladies, I will. Ladies, I will. stay to the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That's great. Yeah. There we go. Uh, all right, that wraps up uh, another episode. We've been away for a month. We're back. We're filming next Monday. I actually am going to reverse the roles and have someone interviewing me because I'm fucking awesome. So uh, that's how we end it, and we're out. <laughs>